0: Uh, quite a bit of time in looking at the history of Israel from the time of David through the reigns of the kings of Israel and Judah, uh, as we've studied First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. So we're going to finish that up. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, Pastor John, has slipped you a Bible. Sorry, John, and um, and you can follow along with this. Second Chronicles chapter 36 is we're going to see a nation that's going to go off into captivity, the house of Judah, here tonight. So um, next week we'll be in the book of Ezra. We're just going to continue through the Old Testament. But tonight, Second Chronicles chapter 36. While you're turning, there are a couple of things I want to announce. Parents, uh, there is ice skating uh, for the youth, middle schoolers, and high schoolers at the Greeley Ice House downtown. And I believe it's at 715 to 845, if I'm correct. But the kids are getting all this specific information. And it is also in the bulletin. And um, so the cost of skate rentals and all that, so Friday evening is that time. Then, guys, Saturday we have men's prayer at 7 o'clock. And um, and then at 8 o'clock we have the men's breakfast. So guys, come join us at Golden Corral, 8 o'clock for a time of eating together and just fellowshipping and getting to know one another. So that's on this Saturday. Guys, also remember that we do have the men's one-day conference that we're going to have on February the 8th as uh, we're going to uh, be watching the DVDs of the men's conference they had out in California. So many of the Calvary Chapel pastors that you hear on Grace FM will be speaking, and the theme is the man that God uses. So we are going to be encouraged in that. Um, $5 for lunch is going to be Dickie's that is going to bar- you know, cater in barbecue. So it's a great lunch. And um, we're going to be blessed. 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock, a time of worship. We're going to be praying for one another. Um, we're just going to have a great, great time. So guys, if you can go, please sign up so we can make sure that we order enough lunch. And um, again, at the door, $5.00. For lunch. Uh, and we got a number of guys, that I think around 60 guys that are already signed up for that. So we want to kind of get a good idea by this weekend how many are going to be coming. And as I mentioned on Sunday, and I'll repeat it again, that uh, wives, if you can, boot your husbands out the door, alright? Get them to go to that conference if they're able to. And I know not all of you guys will be able to go, but if you can, please come. Uh, football's going to be over. And, um, so, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot to do and, um, it's going to, you know, cold time of the year. So that's why we do it this time of the year. So you're able to come to that. And, uh, it's really a blessing. If you can just take a day out to be refreshed and renewed in the Lord, then guys, you're going to go home and bless your wife and you're going to bless your families and, um, the people that you get to minister to. So anyway, we're looking forward to that. Sign up over there at the information desk. And um, and so on February the 8th. Other things that are there in your bulletin. One of the things I was going to pass along, um, the chairs that you are sitting in, that this is the last time you'll be sitting in these chairs uh, here tonight. These chairs uh, we got almost 18 years ago um, when we became a church. So we're getting new chairs that are supposed to come in tomorrow, hopefully before the snow starts flying. And, uh, and these chairs we gave away to Calvary Chapel Brighton. Calvary Chapel Brighton is getting a new facility. So um, I said, Paul, how would you like to be blessed with 200 chairs? And he said, we sure would. They're in good shape. They've been great. Um, But we're going to get rid of the blue color, get a beige color. And um, so um, after the service, if any of you guys, after everybody kind of clears out, take your time. We're in no hurry. There's snacks out there in a coffee shop. But when when people start clearing out, if any of you guys want to help uh, stack the chairs out because they're bringing a the truck tomorrow uh, and we're going to load those chairs up and hopefully the, the other chairs will come. So if not, <laughs> we'll be sitting on the floor on Sunday. So <laughs> that's the plan. So so that's the plan, Lord willing. Um, so that's what we're hoping. So I don't want to have to go down to Brighton on Saturday and get them back. So Anyway, so if you want to stay, also if any of you guys are available, tomorrow between 10 and 3 is when the truck's going to come with the new chairs, and um, you know, want to help unload some chairs, um, let Pastor John know and give him a phone number, and we'll give you a call when the truck gets in, so that would be a blessing. Uh, on Sunday, we're going to be starting 2 Thessalonians, we finished 1 Thessalonians, and so we're going to be in that short epistle for the month of February, so First or 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is what we'll be in on Sunday morning. And I want to remind you that we got the live stream going. Hopefully it's working. I checked it when we started at worship. And uh, if you're wondering why I had my iPad with me, I was just seeing if it works. And it was working during worship. And so Wednesdays uh, at 7 o'clock and then 10.30 on uh, Sunday mornings, uh, live stream on our website, calvarychapelgrilly.com. Uh, as I mentioned to you on Sunday, I would much rather prefer to see you here, all right? But if you can't make it, you're sick or whatever, you're on vacation, you can always join us for that service Wednesday night and then also on Sunday morning at 10.30. So that's another way for us to reach this community using the technology that's available to us to reach people to the, for the Word of God. And, and we have a number of ways for you guys um, to keep up with the Bible studies and your family, but also be able to share that with others because we are finding out as we are getting feedback from those who are listening to Grace FM and the radio program is that they're hungry. People are hungry for the Word of God. And, um, and they are really enjoying the verse-by-verse teaching and growing in God's Word. So we have opportunities. We have CDs that are available after every Wednesday night and Sunday morning uh, service for you to take for free, to listen to it, to pass it on to somebody. We have a mobile app that you can listen to uh, the teachings while you're on the treadmill or taking a walk or throughout your day. So mobile app, Calvary Chapel Greeley, just download it, and, and you can get the podcasts on there also we have the website calvarychapelgreeley.com that you can listen to the teachings and now we have live streams so that's just one of the ways for us to continue to get the word of god out plus the radio program under the fig tree that is on at three o'clock in the morning and three thirty in the afternoon so continue to pray uh, because uh, we really are reaching a lot of people with the teaching of the word of god and people are being blessed and we get feedback all the time and, um, and it's just a great privilege and opportunity to be able to do that. So Sunday morning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is what we will be. Invite somebody here and, uh, and remember those things as you're sharing with others and ministering to them and, and, and wanting to invite them to church. But we do want to finish 2 Chronicles here tonight. So chapter 36, let's begin our study as we look at chapter 36. We read in verse 1, Then the people of the land took Joahaz the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem. And Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Now the king of Egypt disposed him at Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then the king of Egypt made Jehoahaz's brothers Eliakim, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed his name to Jehoiakim, and Necho took his brother and carried them off to Egypt. And so, Father, as we have journeyed through these books of First and Second Chronicles, and before that, First and Second Kings, we have seen um, how a nation um, was split, how a nation went off into captivity, both the house of Israel, and now tonight, the house of Judah. So may we take heed, and may we learn and understand that these things are more than just a historical account. They are. But they're written for us that we may learn. So I pray that um, even though there's a lot of history in this tonight, that we would have clarity and understanding and that we would understand the implication and make application for our lives and for our church as well. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you recall that as we saw over the last couple weeks, we saw Josiah was the king, the last of the good kings that came on the scene. He began to reign in 640 B.C. He came after Manasseh, who was the, uh, a terrible, terrible king. He, Manasseh, reigned the longest in Judah, 55 years, and he was the most evil king of Judah as well. And if you recall that it was in Second Kings chapter 21, and I'm going to read it to you. That because of the sin of Manasseh, the Lord would say to Judah as the prophets came and said that you are going to go off into captivity. Matter of fact, let me read it to you in Second Kings chapter 21 to remind you that the Lord said, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah sin with his idols. And therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day of their fathers came out of Egypt Egypt, even until this day. So there was this irreversible judgment that was pronounced on Judah. And you might be thinking, well, here was Josiah. He came on the scene in 640 B.C. He ruled ruled till 609 B.C., 31 years. And during that time, he brought revival and reforms to the land. He would have the temple that was cleansed and and cleaned up. And while they were doing that, the high priest would find the uh, book of the law. And it was brought before Josiah and read before him. And Josiah, his heart was cut you know to, to the quick his heart was pierced with the, the word of god and and he tore his clothes and he said so wonder that we're in the calamity and difficulties that we are in because we have neglected the word of the lord so it was josiah that began reforms and revival as he would uh install and and bring back true temple worship and and they would celebrate the passover once again And so he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he was a good king. And it seemed like there was revival going on. So you think, Lord, why this judgment that's going to come anyway that was pronounced? Because as we just read here, and we saw that Josiah would end up dying in 609 BC as Necho, the king of Egypt, he's going up to the upper Euphrates to join the Assyrians. Uh, they're going to join the Assyrians to do battle against the Babylonians because Babylon is an emerging power, and they want to stop the uh, Babylon from growing. So here is Egypt and Necho, the king of Egypt, that's passing through northern Israel in the valley of Megiddo. Or the valley of Jezreel. Josiah, he doesn't like it. And it was the message of the Pharaoh to Josiah listen, don't meddle to your hurt. This is not your business. We're passing through. You don't want to get hurt. And it was the word of the Lord to Josiah that he ended up ignoring. So Josiah disguised himself. He went up to the valley of Megiddo. He ended up getting killed in that battle. So Josiah's life ends, and as we ended last week, chapter 35, Jeremiah has been on the scene. And Jeremiah, he had been ministering during the time of Josiah's reign, during this time of revival and reforms, but Jeremiah, as he would lament and weep, Jeremiah, of course, called the weeping prophet for Josiah because he knows that captivity is now coming. And in 609 B.C., and now they plunge deep into idol worship once again. You see, we know that as Josiah, the last of the good kings, he had at least four sons, three of them which become the king. There's four more kings that are going to come on the scene before the final destruction of Jerusalem. And his first son, Joahaz, only reigns for a few months, and he's taken by Egypt, which is suppressing Israel at this time. So Pharaoh replaces has with his brother Eliakim, as we're going to see, and, and also known as Jehoiakim. And he is, um, at this time, as we see has taken off, and we see that already, even before the captivity of Babylon comes, they're already in bondage. They're paying tribute to Egypt, in bondage to Egypt at this time. And you see, that's what sin does. Sin will keep you in bondage and in captivity all the time. And this has been the history of Judah as well as Israel. They would find themselves in bondage and difficulty to somebody, just like it was in the days of the judges. So here they are. They're paying tribute to Egypt at this time. We know that Jehoahaz was a wicked king because 2 Kings chapter 23 tells us that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So here is Jehoahaz, also known as Shalom. That was his real name uh, in the scriptures. And now we see that Jehoiakim is going to reign and the captivity is going to begin. Jehoiakim was 25 years old, verse 5 tells us, when he became king. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar also carries off some of the articles of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, the abominations which he did, and what was found against him, indeed, are they written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Then Jehoiakim, with an end, his son, reigned in his place. So here's Jehoiakim. He he comes on the scene. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He reigned for eleven years. Now a number of things to keep straight historically that's taken place. Here it is about 609 B.C., as I mentioned. Uh, J- Josiah, he has died, the last of the good kings. His son, Jehoahaz, only reigns for a few months. And then Jehoiakim, he reigns for the next 11 years. A couple things about him. When Egypt was oppressing Judah at this time, as Judah was paying tribute to the king of Egypt, Necho. And what happened was that Jehoiakim took Um, He taxed the people for that tribute. He taxed the people very heavily. He paid that tribute to Egypt. And we know that um, he was really just kind of a vessel king. He was more or less just a puppet king for, for Egypt. And according to Jeremiah chapter 22, it gives us a little bit of insight about Jehoiakim. He was using some of the money that he was collecting from the people to build a new palace for himself. He was one that was very selfish. He was also described as a very vicious man, and he was a very ungodly man. And after three years of subjection to Egypt, what happens is this, and Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes about it, that he ends up rebelling against Egypt. Now, it's about 606 B.C., 605 B.C. And the reason that he's rebelling against Egypt is because, remember, Egypt was going to join Um, Assyria in the upper Euphrates at a place called Sharshamis. And they're joining together to battle the Babylonians, but the Babylonians are too tough and too difficult, too powerful for them. So they defeat the Assyrians at that time. They defeat the Egyptians. Actually, they pursue the Egyptians all the way down into the Sinai. And all of a sudden, as they're down there, pretty much doing in the Egyptians, the general that was leading them was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar gets word that his father, who's the king... Has died. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he has to secure the throne very quickly. And he's down there in the Sinai, far away from the upper Euphrates or down below where Babylon is and what is today Iraq. So he has to travel 500 miles. And history tells us that he did that in just a couple of weeks. Now, 500 miles today, we can do easily in, in a day uh, by car. But they didn't have cars back then. So that was quite an amazing feat for him to be able to travel that quickly to Babylon. On his way from the Sinai to Babylon, guess who's in between? It's Jerusalem. So he stops at Jerusalem, and that's the first wave of captivity that begins. And what they do is, because Nebuchadnezzar is in a big hurry, he can only take some of the choice men of Judah away in the captivity. Because here's the thing about the the captivity of Babylon. Um, It would be in three waves that it took place. The first wave happened in 605 B.C. at this time that we're reading about. And at that time, it would be the choice men of Judah that would go off into captivity. And Nebuchadnezzar only had time to take some of the temple vessels and implements and things like that uh, out of the temple to Babylon. So the guys that would go off into captivity first, there was one guy by the name of Daniel that went off, and he was going to be trained, and he was trained in the uh, affairs of Babylon to, to be trained in governmental affairs to serve King Nebuchadnezzar we know his story don't we from the book of Daniel he had three friends that came with them as well and they were young guys Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah you say who were those guys well you probably you might know them as Shadrach Meshach and Abednego of Daniel chapter 3 remember they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace and these young guys are only teenagers so incredibly dedicated to the Lord. They're taken off to Babylon, and they're using a mighty way. So Daniel would serve at that time in Babylon, clear to the reign of the Medes and the Persians that would come and defeat Babylon. That's a history lesson for another time. So that happens in 605 B.C. Jehoiakim here is ruling during that time. And at first, what he does is he rebels against Egypt. Hey, they're being defeated by Babylon anyway. So he's trying to be independent. And Jeremiah, as he comes along, he's ministering during this time. He comes and he warns Jehoiakim, listen, don't rebel against Babylon because they're going to come. And they're going to take you off into captivity. And if you just are subject to Nebuchadnezzar, everything will be fine. Jerusalem won't be destroyed. But if you rebel against him, it's going to be really bad news. And so we know that it would be that Jehoiakim would rebel against Babylon. And we know that it was Jeremiah, as you read in Jeremiah chapter 36, that you perhaps might recall if you read that chapter, that the prophet Jeremiah was told by the Lord to write these words down on the scroll. And it was taken to Jehoiakim and and presented to him and read to him. And Jehoiakim, he was so much in rebellion against God that as he's hearing the words, he got mad and he pulled out a knife and he chopped up the scroll and he threw it into the fire. Well, Jeremiah was told by the Lord, just go ahead and write down the words again and I'm going to add a few things, which wasn't good news for Jehoiakim. Listen, you can rebel and throw out the word of God. But the Word of God will not return void. And the Word of God will come to pass because it is true. And you can harden your heart to it like Jehoiakim did. But I pray that we would never do that in our lives. And as Christians, that as we read the Word of God, that we would always be a people teachable, ready to receive the Word of God. But what can happen is even at times we can read something in the Bible that we don't like. I don't like this, Lord. I don't like the, the fact that I have to forgive this person. I don't like the fact that, that you know, I'm told to, to do this or stay away from that. But the Lord loves us. And here we're going to see that his compassion is going to be expressed to his people because he desired to bless them and do well for them if they would just listen to him and follow after him. So Jehoiakim, he does that, and we see that uh, his reign was very troubled as he tried to be independent. And Jeremiah 49 and Ezekiel 25 indicates that bands of Chaldeans, Syrians, and Moabites, and Ammonites came against him. And then there was a drought that was great, Jeremiah chapter 14 and 15, and Second Kings chapter 24 talks about that. But then his reign ends, as predicted by Jeremiah, in a very violent way. He's thrown over the wall his body of Jerusalem, and it was probably to convince the enemy of his death, thrown over by pro-Babylonian groups. Now, you might be reading this and thinking, well, we just read, Pastor Jeff, that Nebuchadnezzar in verse 7 also carried some of the articles of the house of the Lord and put them in the temple, or actually in verse 6, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. So which is it? Was he carried off to Babylon, which it says here? Or as Jeremiah chapter 22 tells us, that he was thrown over the wall, killed in Jerusalem. Well, the thing that, as scholars look at this, the way that we can reconcile this, is that it tells us here in verse 6 that he was uh, you know, bound up in bronze fetter to carry him off to Babylon, but that it doesn't tell us that he was actually taken to Babylon. And what historians believe is that Jehoiakim, that he would, um, he would cry uncle, essentially, he would say to, to Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I rebelled against you. And he gave a promise of subjection to Babylon. But really, those pro-Babylonian you know, guys that were supportive of Nebuchadnezzar ended up killing him, and he would be thrown over the wall of Jerusalem and died a very violent death. So that's the reign of Jehoiakim. That's what's taken place. So the first wave of captivity has come. There's a second wave of captivity that happens in 597 BC that we're going to read about starting in verse 9. You see, in 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes in. Here is Jehoiakim. He'd been rebelling during this time. And we see in verse 9 that Jehoiakim was 8 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the turn of the year King Nebuchadnezzar summoned him and took him to Babylon with the costly articles of the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah Jehoiakim's brother king over Judah and Jerusalem. So here comes Je- uh, Je- uh, Jehoiakim with an end. He only reigns for about 100 days. And it is during this time here that he's taken off uh, to Babylon, as we are told here. But we know that during this time, the second wave of captivity would be happening. And at that time, who was taken off? Those of you who are students of the scripture and history buffs, you know that at that time, Ezekiel the prophet was taken off into captivity. So here is Daniel taken off in 605 B.C., and he's in Babylon. He is working uh, under the, the um, you know, submission and, and, and the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar in the palace there. And here is um, Ezekiel. He's taken off in the captivity where he begins to prophesy, and he begins uh, to minister to the people as well. It is during this time that Ezekiel is ministering what did he see? He saw the glory of the Lord depart from the temple. And as you read the book of Ezekiel, you see that the Shekinah glory of God left the temple, that vision, and, and would go over to Mount of Olives and would leave at that time because they had given themselves again over to idol worship and desecrating the temple and all of this that was taking place. We know that here that jehoiakim also known as Jeconiah, Uh, evil king as we are told here And, and Jeremiah said of Jehoiakim his dad that in chapter 26 of Jeremiah that he would not have none to sit upon the throne of David now you're thinking well Jehoiakim he was eight years old he became king he reigned in Jerusalem what happened there And I know that there have been those that have asked me that question. Well, Jeremiah chapter 26 says that Jehoiakim wouldn't have anybody sit on the throne from his line. Well, that word in the Hebrew means in Jeremiah chapter 26, he wouldn't have anyone that would be firmly established or dwell there. So it happens. He only reigns here, his son, for three short months. So prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 26 was true. Jeremiah prophesied to Jeconiah that I will pluck you off, and he would be taken uh, off to Babylon. So the second captivity has taken place. Ezekiel goes off. More of the articles of the temple of, of Solomon there in Jerusalem are taken off to Babylon as well at that time. And so Jehoiakim having a very short reign. And then we see that the last king of Judah comes on the scene, Zedekiah, verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. And verse 14, moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. So we hear, see here that Jehoiakim's brother, uh, Zedekiah, there will be a quiz after the church uh, here, the service, um, for 11 years, he's reigning until 586 B.C. You see, he had been told by Jeremiah not to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, just as Jehoiakim was told not to. And even though he took an oath to Nebuchadnezzar to be loyal, we see that he does, Zedekiah here, end up rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Jeremiah ministered for 40 years, and it doesn't give us any indication that anyone responded to his ministry. I really shouldn't say responded to his ministry. They did respond to it by throwing him into a pit and by persecuting him very heavily. But there's no converts that we know of Jeremiah. There could have been, but it's not recorded in God's Word. And I just want to encourage you, because maybe you feel like that you're in a place where you're ministering at the workplace or with your family or whatever it might be, and you might be thinking they're not responding at least favorably to me They're not listening to me. They criticize me. They're coming against me, coming down on me, and I feel like I'm in a pit every time that I talk to them. It feels like a pit, a dungeon at the workplace or when I'm with my family. But I want to encourage you that you be faithful to where God has placed you. You continue to minister. Be faithful to give truth and to be praying for those who are linked to you in your life. And so that's what Jeremiah does. Again, he's coming, and and for, for these 40 years, coming to the leaders of Judah, he's coming here to Zedekiah, and he said, Don't rebel against the Lord. And he would continue to do that for those 40 years. What makes us successful in ministry? You know, I heard one pastor say, that the way to be successful in our ministry is to make sure that we scratch, you know, whoever, you know, or wherever people have an itch. Something like that. Wherever people want to be scratched, you know, and I just kind of picture, you know, a cat, you know, that, you know, we're going to scratch and make it all nice and pretty and whatever it is they want to hear. And you know what, I'm all for happy messages and feel-good messages because... You and I, as we come and we listen to the Word of God, it should give us joy in our hearts, shouldn't it? But the Lord is going to bring His truth to us, and sometimes it's kind of hard to hear that truth, isn't it? When He brings correction or rebuke to you and to me. And the way for us to be successful in your ministry, mom and dad's, grandma's and grandpa's, The way for you to be successful in your ministry, whoever you're talking to and have opportunity to share with, is that you're given the truth of God's word. It isn't, well, I just want them to feel good, you know, scratch, 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 you know. Because they have itchy ears. As Paul would tell Timothy, is going to be the norm of the day in the last days. There are going to be those who are going to fall away from the faith and being given over to fables and myths, heaping up teachers for themselves because they have itchy ears. And unfortunately, I believe that we are seeing that today. And may we always be ones that we get the message that we have to others from God's Word as He lays it on our hearts as we minister to others, as we study the Word of God ourselves, that you are successful In ministry, as you are just being faithful to where God has placed you and have an opportunity to share it to those who are linked to you in your life and giving them truth, loving them enough to give them truth and giving them that truth out of a heart of love and concern for them. So here is Jeremiah ministering to this time saying, don't, you know, don't rebel against the Lord. And um, the thing that was happening at this time as well, as the captivity began that there were the false prophets that were on the scene and the false prophets on the scene were telling the people Babylon's going to fall here pretty soon this captivity is not going to last very long it's the people are going to be coming back in just a few years Uh, Jerusalem isn't going to be destroyed I mean we're God's holy city we have the temple here so that's what the false prophets were saying and Zedekiah and The leaders of of Judah at that time were listening to the false prophets. And Jeremiah was saying, no, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah was told that the captivity is going to last for 70 years. So in Jeremiah chapter 29, a chapter that many of you are familiar with, that the Lord told Jeremiah, write a letter to the captives and tell them that the captivity is going to last for a while that you need to place yourself in the land, live peaceably there, have children, plant gardens, because you're going to be there for 70 years. And as the years go by, and as the captivity continues after decade, after decade, after decade for 70 years, the people are going to wonder, has God forsaken us? Do we have a future? Is there any hope for us? So Jeremiah, you make sure that you tell them this, that thus saith the Lord. That I know my thoughts toward you, says the Lord. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And as you seek me, you will find me. And as you search me with all of your heart, that I will be near and I will hear you. And that word is given to you and to me as well. And I hope and pray that all of us, that we would never ever forget that our future and our hope is in the Lord. It's not in this world. It's not of the things of the world. That the Lord looks at you and me and says, I know my thoughts towards you. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. The Lord gives us his words and his commandments and his principles and his truths because he wants us to have a wonderful future and he's given us a hope, a living hope that as Peter would write in his epistle that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in the world. And I pray that we would always cling to that hope. And as we're going to see on Sunday morning, that is going to be Paul the Apostle, that you recall in 1 Thessalonians that he would commend those young Christians who were being persecuted, they were going through difficult times. And he says, I commend you on your faith, I commend you on your love and I commend you on your hope. In his second letter to them, a year later that he writes to them, he once again opens that letter to them, and he says, I know, and it is known of your faith. It is also heard of of your love. But he doesn't mention hope. And you might be thinking, why? Well, come on Sunday morning, we'll talk about it. But there's some very important lessons in it, an application to be made. He's our hope and our future for this church, for your family, for you individually. So Jeremiah here telling Zedekiah, don't rebel. But Zedekiah, he does rebel. In 586 B.C., what happens? Nebuchadnezzar says that's it. Zedekiah rebelling. He goes to Jerusalem, and he destroys Jerusalem, levels it. And he levels Solomon's temple is what he does. He destroys that beautiful temple that we read about. Remember at the beginning of, of Second Chronicles. How glorious it was. How wonderful it was. And now it's all gone. And the third way of captivity has happened. So in verse 15, let's continue to, to read about that. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers uh, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling p- place. And all this ugliness and all this difficulty that we're reading about, there's a very important word that is given. God would send his messengers because of his compassion on us. You see, he gives us his word and he warns us and he speaks to our hearts and because he has compassion for us. I hope and pray that we would never have the mindset of, you know, Lord, you, you give me these commandments and you tell me to stay away from this and don't go in that direction and don't be involved in these things because you're a killjoy, Lord. You don't want me to have any fun in life. And I hope and pray we never think that way. Or Lord, how much of the world can I have in my life and get involved in and, and still, you know, be okay? Okay. And be comfortable. I hope we don't have that mindset. I hope that our heart and mindset is, Lord, you give me your word and your commandments because you love me and you have compassion for me and you want me to have that life, but life abundantly to have that peace and that joy and real purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment in life. So every commandment that you give to me is an expression of your love and compassion for me to be able to live that life abundantly, a life with real purpose, to to really enjoy life the way it was meant to be enjoyed. But what sin and carnality and what compromise will do is only hold you in bondage, and you'll be cheated, and you'll be deceived, and you'll be blinded, because that's what the world's going to bring to you. And that's what the enemy wants you to be deceived to think that the world is where it's at, or the worldly pleasures. And you're not going to enjoy life if you end up being a religious person. It isn't about being religious. It's about relationship. And how the Lord wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think in your life. He does. He really does. For all of us. When we have a heart of surrender and trust and rest, that Lord... You want to bless my life and do more in my life that I can ever do on my own self or that the world will ever bring to me. Do do we understand that, Christians? But don't think that God, as he gives us his commandments and says, stay away from sin and stay away from compromise and stay away from this, that he's just, you know, giving us a bunch of do's and don'ts and trying to make our lives dull and and boring and not wanting to enjoy life is completely the opposite. He doesn't want us to get hurt. He doesn't want us to be in, in bondage. He doesn't want us to be deceived and blinded. He has compassion for you and for me. And he had compassion on his people, but they would ignore him and they would rebel against him. And as the messengers came, verse 16, they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose um, against his people till there was no remedy. They would mock the messengers, the warnings, the message that was given to them. Second of all, they despised his words, and then thirdly, they mocked the prophets. A triple rejection of God there. Today, people mock God, the messengers of God, you and me as we stand for truth. Will we understand that the world isn't going to like us because we stand for truth and we're Christians? The world isn't going to like us. Jesus said the world's going to hate you for my name's sake. So as we give the word of God to others in truth, there are going to be those who will mock us There are those who despise the word of God, absolutely despise it. Who are you to tell me how, you know, I can't live this lifestyle, I can't be involved in in this sin, I, I can't do this. And they will absolutely despise the word of God. They get angry, upset when you bring the word of God to them. And there are those who will scoff at the word of God. Peter said, there'll be scoffers in the last day, saying, where's the return of the Lord since your forefather's time? Everything goes on as usual. There'll be those who scoff. (laughs) I don't need that stuff. I don't need to listen to that. Bible, it's just a book, you know, of myths and stories and written by men. So that's how people reject God's word, by mocking it, by despising it, being scoffers. In verse 17, Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, and killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young men or virgin, on the age or on the weak. He gave them all into his hand. Notice here in verse 17, that it says that they rejected the compassion, verse 15, that God had for them. Now verse 17, so now they're given over to a ruler who had no compassion on them. Listen. The world and the enemy is going to have no compassion for you. Will you remember that? Will you never forget that? Listen, the world and the enemy is going to have no compassion for you. The Lord has compassion for you. The world will never have compassion for you. The world will run you over just like those chariots were going to run over the children of Israel. The world will cheat you. The enemy will come against you and try to defeat you, discourage you, cast you down. The enemy hates you. The world will have no compassion for you, but God does have great compassion for you. And he loves you. So here was all of them affected by it, young and old, whoever they were, male, female. They would go off into captivity, killed. You see, Jeremiah, as you read the book of Jeremiah, don't you also see that Jeremiah was was telling them, listen, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. If you do, it's going to be great devastation and destruction and death that's going to happen. And he would take the leaders of Judah out and stand by the Gehenna Valley, overlooking the valley outside the walls of Jerusalem, and he would take a clay pot and he would smash it on the ground. And he would say, that's what's going to happen. The Babylonians are going to do to you if you rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. But yet they didn't listen to Jeremiah. And that's why he wept over them. And he had a heart for the people. And as he talks about, as we've mentioned in our previous studies, that as the destruction of Jerusalem was happening, that Jeremiah said, oh, weeping over Jerusalem. The summer is over and harvest is in and we're not saved. So it was a very, very terrible time that was taking place. And all the, the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. So the stuff that was in, the treasures and, and things that was in the temple, Solomon's temple, was taken off to Babylon. And, of course, Daniel chapter 5, as Belshazzar has this big party, he took some of those cups and vessels that were taken from Nebuchadnezzar, and he has a party. And you know the story how the handwriting on the wall came, and that was the end of Babylon at that time. And then the Medes and the Persians took over. When we pick it up in Ezra next week, We're going to pick it up where chapter 36 ends here. When they come back, there's going to be a list of some of those articles that came back. The Ark of the Covenant, we don't know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant, if it was taken off to Babylon or not. But here uh, a hint says that the treasures of the house of the Lord um, were taken great and small. So again, it's silent concerning the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 19, then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. In verse 19, so 586 BC, again the temple uh, burnt. Um, the Talmud declared that the Babylonians entered into the temple, had a two-day feast to desecrate the temple, and then they set it on fire. They set it on fire. So different than Second Chronicles chapter 5, when it ends when they dedicated Solomon's temple that the glory of the Lord was so present and so powerful and so bright that the priests had to stop ministering. And then in chapter 6, as it talks about the dedication of the temple and the prayer of dedication that Solomon gave, that they had a feast for two weeks, and all the people went away with gladness of heart, joyful, every man sitting under his own fig tree, and eating from his own vine. It was a glorious time. And now the destruction and death and devastation of Solomon's temple, Jerusalem, and the people. Why? Because of sin. Because of rebellion. Because they ignored God's word and despised it and scoffed it and, and, and would mock it. And that's the result of rebellion and sin. And you see, the Lord had brought his people to warn them over and over again. His hand of compassion and and mercy extended to them. But there was no remedy, as the scripture says here, no more. God will judge sin. And God's hand of mercy, this is a day of grace. And I pray if there is anybody that is here, anybody at all, that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ that his hand of grace and mercy is extended to you right now. Jesus went to a cross and took the judgment that you and I deserve upon himself as all of our sins were placed upon him. And he died for our sins, made atonement for our sins because the wages of sin is death and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that Jesus went to the cross, the one who was blameless and perfect, and then he cried out, It is finished. I've done the work and i paid the price for sinful humanity and now we come in faith and recognize our need to repent and turn to Jesus and have him be our personal Lord and Savior because he's the only one that will save us. The only one who died for our sins, the only one who conquers sin and death by rising from the grave three days later after he was put into the tomb and as you surrender your heart and come in faith, believing what Jesus Christ has done for you and your need for him, then forgiveness of sin and eternal life and right relationship with the Father is ours. But those who reject him, judgment will come. Judgment will come. And hell is real. And the great white throne is real, as we read about in the book of Revelation chapter 20. And those who have rejected the gospel message that they will be cast in the outer darkness. That is the truth of God's word. Don't reject his compassion if that means anything to anyone here tonight. And his mercy and his provision for you because he loves you. And here they did reject it. So off they go. And those, verse 20, escaped from the sword. He carried away to Babylon where they became servants to him and the sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia and that would come in 536 BC to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath as long as she lay desolate she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years why 70 years well Jeremiah goes on to explain um, that it was 70 years um, because for 490 years they did not take the Sabbath rest for the land They would take a Sabbath rest for the land. They were to work the land for six years. God promised in the sixth year he'd give them a double harvest, rest the land for the seventh year. They didn't do it for 490 years. So the Lord said, okay, I'm going to get those 70 years back. So they go off into captivity for 70 years. In verse 22, now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, and all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you and all his people. May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So Second Chronicles ends where Ezra chapter 1 is going to begin because... The Medo-Persians are going to take over the Babylonians. Cyrus makes a decree that after the 70 years they can come back. And what we're going to read is the first wave of return. There's three waves of captivity to Babylon. Where there's three waves of return back to Jerusalem. The first one under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And then also Joshua the high priest. And they're going to come back to build the altar. So they can sacrifice And then they're going to build the temple. That's the first thing they're going to do. And we'll pick that up next time as we'll look at Ezra chapter 1. So, Father, we thank you for this study here tonight. And, Lord, as we look at this, we see um, very clearly, Lord, that this is written for, for us so we can learn. And, Father, what my prayer is is that we would take heed, knowing the compassion and provision that you have for us So, Father, I pray if there's anybody out in the coffee shop or anybody that's here in the sanctuary, if you're here and you're not right with God, you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, the scripture says today is the day of salvation. So I pray that you would open your heart to him because he says come. And receive forgiveness and eternal life, the promise of eternal life. As you turn to him and surrender your life to him, coming in in faith, you can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. And you can pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. And I now respond to your compassion and provision and grace. And I come and I ask that you would forgive me. That you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I know that you're alive. You rose from the grave because you're knocking on the door of my heart and I now let you in. My life is not my own. I surrender to you right now. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me the hope of heaven and thank you for saving me and help me to live for you all the days of my life if you prayed that prayer tonight when we're done with the service I want you to come up and talk with me but Lord for all of us that we'd remember that you have so much for us and Lord may we stay away from that which is deceptive and wrong and sin and carnality knowing that that stuff's just going to mess us up and do us in and bring defeat in our lives. And Lord, may we pursue you. That you desire for us to understand this, that your thoughts towards us are thoughts of peace and not of evil, and that you are our future and hope. Bless your people here tonight. Take us all home. May we go home just rejoicing in our personal relationship with you and that we're going to go to heaven. Lord, that you're with us and your promises are true for us. Having a heart of gratitude and joy unspeakable. Lord, bless your people here. I thank you for the time that we've had tonight. Keep everybody safe as the storm is coming in, Lord. there are those, certainly, we have to be traveling and be out in or working. Just, Lord, protect your people and bring us all back here safely on Sunday morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.